Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. We're in a series called Wartime Letters, and what we're doing is we're studying the first five chapters of the book of Revelation, because the book of Revelation is a wartime letter to God's children. You see, any time during a war, the soldiers would say that letters from home would be the very things that they need to sustain them, to encourage them, to give them hope in the midst of chaotic times. Well, that's what the book of Revelation is to us. We are in a spiritual war. We may not realize it, but we are, and Jesus is sending us these messages to encourage us. In fact, there are seven messages to seven churches in Asia Minor, and though it's to specific churches, it is to the universal church, and so these messages are for us today. And today, what we're going to look at is Jesus' message to the compromising church. It's the church at Pergamum, and it's found in Revelation chapter 2. How do you overcome whenever you become a compromising church. Let me see if I can illustrate it like this. Have you ever seen this artist before? His name is Lou Bolin. Lou Bolin is um, this Chinese artist who basically paints himself into his environment. He's called the invisible man because of the way that he can paint himself into the environment. Let me give you some examples. Here he is in front of an escalator. Do you see him there? He sort of just paints himself in. You can't even hardly see him there. I mean, here's another example of him at a grocery store. And do you see him? I mean, look down below, you can see his sort of feet there, and he just paints himself up, right? Um, His most famous um, paintings were actually called Hiding in the City. And here's an example of where he is hiding, here he is by a wall, okay, literally paints himself there. And he's like the invisible man. You go, well, how does he do it? Well, he starts off by actually first just looking, you know, standing out. And then what does he do? Little by little, he paints himself to look like his environment until eventually he completely fits in. Well, that's what happens to us. You and I, we can become a compromising church. We, we, we stand out in the world. We're different from the world. The, the, the word church means ecclesia. That means those that are called out, right? That's who we're called to be. We're called to be different than the world. We're called to look like Jesus and not like the world. And yet the fact is, is that we can begin to compromise and we start looking more and more like our culture. That is what happened to the church of Pergamum and it can happen to us as well. And so let's look at Jesus's message to the compromising church. It's found in Revelation chapter 2 beginning in um, verse 12. Look at what God's word says. Jesus says, write to the angel of the church in Pergamum. Thus says the one who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan's throne is. Yet you are holding on to my name, and you did not deny your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death among you, where Satan lives. But I have a few things against you. You have some, again, not all, you have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak to place a stumbling block in front of the Israelites to eat meat sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. In the same way, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Verse 16, so repent. Otherwise, I will come to you quickly and fight against you with a sword of my mouth. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. 
I'll also give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name is inscribed that no one knows except the one who receives it. And so here is Jesus' words to a compromising church. And in this passage, Jesus is going to teach us how do we overcome whenever our society begins to compress us into its mold. We're surrounded by this culture. How do we not get consumed by this culture? Well, Jesus is going to tell us how in this passage. And so I want you to jot down these four principles on your outline. Number one, first of all, is this. We are surrounded by wickedness, right? We, we all know that. Okay, yeah, I can agree with that. We're all surrounded by wickedness. Now, it's hard sometimes to live out our Christian faith in a culture that is sort of against us, but it was especially hard at the church at Pergamum. I mean, Pergamum is not like Chattanooga, Tennessee. I mean, Chattanooga is called the buckle of the Bible belt. Did you you know that Chattanooga is known as the most Bible-minded city in the world? That's true. Now, if that's true of Chattanooga, and we're the buckle of the Bible belt, no wonder everybody's britches has fallen down, okay? Because the fact is, we're not really living it out that much. And there's a lot of people in in Chattanooga that would call themselves Christians and try to live their faith out, but not everybody. It's not the majority, right? And it's a lot easier to live out our faith here in Chattanooga than it is in other places of the world. Well, it was extremely hard to live out the faith in Pergamum. Why? Because that's where Satan dwelled. I mean, think about it. I mean, a lot of cities are known for different things. You you got Chattanooga is known for the scenic city, right? Chicago is known as the windy city. Las Vegas is known as Sin City. Pergamum was known as Satan's City. Yeah, no kidding. This is where Satan actually dwell. I mean, um, you may go, um, well, uh, where does he dwell today? Well, probably Washington, D.C. No, I don't know for sure, but we don't know for sure, okay? But but the fact is, is that some people say, well, isn't Satan everywhere? No, he's not. I mean, only God is omnipresent everywhere. Satan is a fallen angel, so he can only dwell at one place and at one time. And so, you know, why was he in Pergamum? Well, we're not we're completely sure. We know that in Pergamum was the largest temple to Zeus, and right out front of that temple was a huge throne. Maybe that's it. Uh, another possibility is that Pergamum was known, had this temple, to the god of healing, Astroclutopetus. That's the name of that god, and it was a serpent. Okay. In fact, what you do is if you were ill, you come into that temple and a priest or priestess, you'd lay down and they would lay these non-venomous snakes on you. And they would literally crawl all over you and somehow you'd be healed by all these snakes crawling all over you. I don't know about you, I'd rather remain sick. Okay. But out front of that temple was this. It was a marble statue to their God. You ever see that emblem before? Even today, it's used in medicine and doctors, right? That's the symbol of their God, the the God of healing. Now, we're not completely sure why that was the dwelling place of Satan, but that's where Satan's throne was in Pergamum. Now, can you imagine trying to live out your your faith in the very city where Satan dwells? It was difficult, and yet these Christians, they were standing firm. Look at how Jesus affirms them. Look at it in verse 13. Jesus says, yet you're holding on to my name and did not deny your faith. In me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death among you, where Satan lives. Do you see that? They didn't deny their faith, even though they were coming under intense persecution. Now, we don't know who this Antipas is, but he's somebody who stood out and stood up for Jesus Christ, and he got killed. Jesus calls him a faithful witness. That word witness there is where we get the word martyr. He was killed for his faith. Now, the fact is, is that most of us are not going to be killed for our faith, at least not in Chattanooga, Tennessee. But yeah, living out your faith is going to come under criticism. And so what happens? Okay, we we want to stand for Jesus Christ, right? But let's be honest. 
We want to be liked by our culture. We want to be liked by our friends. We want to be liked by the people around us. And if you live around or, or you know, you're surrounded by at work a lot of non-believers, you know, golly, we don't want to just um, offend everybody all the time. We want to be liked. And so the real tendency that we have is okay, we're not going to deny our faith, but what we can do is we can begin to start compromising our faith. Little by little, we, we just begin to have little compromises in our life. I mean, much like, remember the Apostle Peter? I mean, he said, I'll never deny you, Jesus, right? But then on the night that Jesus was arrested, you know, this little serving girl confronts him and says, aren't you one of his followers? And Peter says, no, I don't know the man, right? See, under the right circumstances, we have certain pressure in our life. We can all crumble, right? And we may not deny the faith, but we can begin to compromise our faith. That's what this church did. And so jot this down. Yeah, we're surrounded by evil, but second, we are tempted to compromise, You and I, the temptation that we have may not be to deny Jesus, but it's to compromise our faith in Jesus Christ. Notice what this church did and what Jesus said, verse 14. But I have a few things against you. You have some, again, not all of these people were like this, but you have some in the church who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to place a stumbling block in front of the Israelites to eat meat sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. In the same way, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. You go, what is all that about? Well, it's a compromise, right? Okay, you're going to eat meat sacrificed to idols. You go, well, it's not really a big deal. You know, idols are nothing anyway. And so eating meat, it's not that really big a deal. It's just a little compromise, Right? And then what else? It's sexual immorality. And can I tell you, that's always the two things that you're going to be faced with in temptation. You're going to be faced to compromise, to fit in, right? Eat meat, sacrifice to idols, compromise with the world. It's not that big a deal. And sexual morality. Those are the two things. You're going to see that in our culture. We're going to be surrounded by that all the time. Now, here Jesus says you, you, you have these teachings that people that hold to the teaching of Balaam. You go, Balaam, what's that? Who's that? Well, if you go back in the Old Testament to the book of Numbers, okay, most of you have probably heard of Balaam before. Balaam and the donkey, right? The donkey, talking donkey, right? You have this donkey literally talks to him to, to rescue him, okay? It's an incredible story. But you have Balaam. Balaam is a prophet, but he's a prophet for hire. And so you have this pagan king that wants Balaam to pronounce these curses against the nation of Israel. And so he hires him to do that, and he comes to pronounce this curse on Israel, and instead, what does he do? He gives him blessing. And, and Balaam's like, hey, what are you doing? And so, so he does it again, and, and he's supposed to pronounce curses, but what does he do? He pronounces blessings. And he goes, look, man, I hired you to curse them, and you keep blessing them. And Balaam says, look, I can only say what God puts in my mouth. And so he says, this is what I can tell you to do. If you want to defeat Israel, it's not going to be through your armies. If you want to defeat Israel, it's through their compromise. And so this is what I encourage you to do. Go take your most beautiful women and put them in the camp. Let them dance a little bit and mingle with the men, right? And they're going to fall in love with your women. And, and you, you take some of your most delicious food that you got that's been sacrificed to your gods, and you start, you know, feeding the Israelites. And what happens is, is over time, as they begin to like the women and like your food, what's going to happen? Eventually, they're going to fall and they're going to compromise. And sure enough, that was a downfall of the nation of Israel. Because they intermarried and they intermingled, next thing you know, they begin to compromise and they fell. Well, that's exactly what can happen to us. You see, there was a group here that called the Nicolaitans that have basically the teaching of Balaam. And they'll say to us as Christians, hey, you know what? It doesn't really matter how you live. It only matters what you believe, right? 
And so, you know what? You know, as long as you believe in Jesus, you know, we're saved by grace through faith and not works. And so, as long as you believe in Jesus, you can live any way you want to. I mean, you know what? This sexual immorality thing, it's really not that big a deal to God. And, and you know, the way you live, it's not that big a deal to God. And, and you can compromise, and God's going to forgive you anyway. And, and so, hey, it's not that really big a deal. That's the teaching. And can I tell you that, you know, you have churches and entire denominations in America now that have now compromised in that way. They're, they're called progressive Christianity. And what do they do? They, they come to the Bible and they say, well, uh, that, that whole teaching of Jesus about hell, well, that, that's, that's sort of offensive. Let, let's get that out of the Bible. Or, oh, that, that passage that Jesus said that, you know, sex should be between a man and his wife and a holy covenant. You know what? Let, let's get rid of that one. Oh, Romans, well, Romans 1 where the Apostle Paul says, hey, you know what? Homosexuality and men sleeping with men and women sleeping with women, that, that's, a, that's, that's wrong. Well, let's tear that out. And so what do they do is they go, the Bible's offensive. And so what we need to do is we need to tear out those things that we don't like. It's all about our faith in Jesus. It's not based on a lifestyle. And so what happens is, is that the entire church begins to compromise their faith in Jesus Christ. And the fact is, is that some of you, 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 you are living a Christian life of compromise. You live for the world and for yourself all week long, and then you come to church and you, you try to live for Jesus. For some of you this past week, you open your eyes to pornography, and today you close your eyes and worship to Jesus. And somehow you think that, okay, it's okay. I, I can live this compromising life. And Jesus is saying, no, it's going to be your downfall. It's going to destroy you. Now, now, how is it? How is it that we as Christians that have experienced the grace and power of God and his transformation in our life, how is it that we can begin to start looking more and more like the world? Well, it's very subtle. It's one little compromise at a time. You, you move the, the boundary just a little bit, and then you move a little bit more and move a little bit more to the next thing. You know, you're way over here, and God's word is, is way over here. It's called the frog in the kettle, you know, um, idea. And you've probably heard this before, that a frog, right, if you put a frog into a boiling water, that the frog would immediately jump out because, why? Well, it's such a change of water from hot water to his body temperature. He's cold-blooded. But if you take a frog, right, who's cold-blooded and can adapt to its environment, but if you can take a frog and put it into, you know, room temperature water, and then you can turn on the heat, over time, real gradually, what will happen is, is that the water will begin to boil and the frog will not even jump out. It will literally boil alive. That's what can happen to us. Now, I've always heard that experiment, but I've never actually tried it. And so today I'm going to try it, okay? And so I have here this kettle, okay? It's got room temperature water. Uh, I've got a little cooker here, right? And so the, the, the kettle represents the world, okay? And then I have a little frog, Okay, come here. All right, and he's real cold right now, but I'm putting him in this, this water. He's going to swim around there a little bit, okay? See him there, okay? And, and so how's he? He's sort of settling down now. He's going, this is a little different here. But what's going to happen, okay? Let, let's, let's turn on the, the heat here to max, and um, let's see what's going to happen here. Now, it's going to take a while for this water to heat up, all right? And so since we, you know, we have to wait a little bit to see what he does, I want us to move on to our next point, okay? 
And so here's the point. Jesus says we are surrounded by wickedness. Secondly, we have this temptation to compromise. But then here's the third truth. Jot this down. Number three, Jesus says this. Christ will discipline the disobedient. Christ will discipline the disobedient. Now, the world says, no, 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 God loves you, he cares for you, you, God, God, you don't have to worry about your lifestyle, and Jesus says, no, that's not true. Jesus says, hey, what's going to happen, you know, God wants you holy. Look at how Jesus puts this in verse 16, so repent, otherwise I will come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. You go, what does repentance look like? I'll tell you what repentance looks like. It's the, it's the frog jumping out of the water. That's what repentance looks like. Now, I don't want to get any, um, you know, letters from PETA or any bad emails, so let's rescue this guy real quick, okay? He's fine. He's fine. You know, it's not even bad at all. Just a warm little swim, right? Now, the fact is, here's the deal, folks. Some of you are more concerned with this little frog than you are your own spiritual condition. You're living in compromise, and you're boiling to death, and you don't even know it. You don't even really care about it. You're more concerned about a little frog than you are yourself. Jesus said, you need to repent. You need to turn. You need to jump out of the hot water of this world. How how do you do that? Well, look at what Jesus says. If you don't repent, this is what he says. Look at it. Jesus says, repent, or I will come against you. And when, if you don't repent, what happens? He says, otherwise, I will come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Jesus is saying what? Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to come against you. So many times as Christians, we're living compromising lives, and we think, oh, Jesus is for me. Jesus is for me. No, Jesus said that whenever you're compromising, you're living like the world, and you're not repenting of your sins, look, I'm going to stand against you. You think Jesus is on your side? No. Jesus said, whenever you're sinning, I stand against you. I'm against that. You go, with what? He says, I'm going to come against you with the the word of my mouth. It's a two-edged sword. What's he talking about? He's talking about the word of God. Folks, the Bible is God's plumb line. The Bible is God's standard. The world hates it. The world knocks against it. The world says, hey, you know what? You can't trust this, or it's got problems with it, or it's an old ancient document. Can I tell you, it has stood the test of time. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away before my words pass away. We have a changing culture that changes its ethics all the time, but God's word stands firm. And so Jesus said, I'm going to judge you based on my words, based on the word of God itself. Now you go, it seems a little harsh. I always thought God's loving, and he is. But listen, listen to the motivation. Why does God discipline us? I mean, it's the same motivation a parent would have. Why would a parent discipline his child for the child's benefit, right? I mean, look at how Jesus puts this in Revelation 3.19. Jesus says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. See, Jesus has the best for you. Jesus looks at your life and he says, you are boiling to death. And you don't even know it. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to discipline you to wake you up and bring you to a place of repentance. Now you may go, well, what does that look like? Well, I've put on your outline these four stages of God's discipline. Four stages of God's discipline. It starts with the lowest stage, and then it increases. So what is it? The very first thing that God does is this. He has internal conviction. What does that mean? That means your conscience starts to bother you. You, In your heart of hearts, you're like, something's wrong in my life. I know I'm not living right. There's something wrong. 
But the problem is, is that we have a real tendency that we can harden our heart, we can, our conscience can be seared, right? And we can push God's truth away from us. And whenever we do that and we don't repent, then it moves to the second level. And what will God do? He'll give us verbal correction. Verbal correction, like what? Well, maybe you get a rebuke from somebody. Maybe a friend confronts you or your spouse or maybe your child or a coworker or a boss. Or maybe today's message is God's verbal rebuke of you so that you'll wake up and repent. You go, well, what if we don't repent with uh, God's verbal warnings? Well, then God ups it. And it's the third thing, and it's this, external chastisement. The Bible says that God disciplines his children. If you're truly a child of God, he will discipline you. Now, if you never get any discipline from God, that means you're not really a Christian. But if you're really a Christian, God will discipline his children. He will. And you go, what does that look like? Well, it's many times external stuff happening. Maybe it's a breaking up of a relationship. Maybe your health goes bad. Maybe your finances begin to fall apart. God can use all different kind of things to wake us up and get our attention. And as a Christian, that is really the farthest extent of what God does to bring us to a place of repentance. But for those that are not followers of Jesus Christ, there's a fourth level, and it's this, eternal condemnation. That if a person lives their life in rebellion to God, and they don't repent and surrender their lives to Jesus Christ, they're like, I'm going to live my way, I don't care what the Bible says or who Jesus is, I'm going to just follow me, I'm going to live for me, there's eternal consequences for that. Let me just tell you. As a Christian, this is as close to hell as it gets. But for non-Christians, this is as close to heaven as it gets. There's eternal consequences for our sin. And so Jesus is confronting a compromising church. He says, look, I know you're surrounded by wickedness. I know this is hard. But you're compromising. You're, You're beginning to start looking more and more like the world. And if you don't quit, if you don't repent... I'm going to discipline you as my child because I love you too much. But then there's a promise, and this is the final thing that Jesus does. Number four is this. Christ promises his provision. Christ promises his provision. I mean, the fact is, is that at the, every one of these messages, at the very end, Jesus always gives a promise to his children whenever they will repent and follow him. So look at this promise. It's beautiful. Verse 17, Jesus says this. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. That means right now, if the Spirit of God is pricking your heart, it's time for you to listen. Don't harden your heart to God. But what does he say? Here's the promise. To the one who conquers or overcome, I will give some of the hidden manna. You go, what is that? Remember in the Old Testament where the nation of Israel was wandering through the desert, God provided daily manna for them. That's how they survived for 40 years in the desert. God provided manna. And Jesus says, that's what I'm gonna do for you. I know you're living in a hard situation. I know it feels like you're in a desert, but if you'll turn from this world and turn to me, then I'll do something supernatural in your life. I'll sustain you. But if you keep going to the world and thinking that's where you're going to find your joy, that's where you're going to find your life, that's where you're going to find your strength, you'll find that all you're doing is eating the dust of a desert. But if you'll turn to Jesus Christ, Jesus says, I'll give you the strength, the joy, the life, the love, the power that you're looking for. I'll give it to you. But it's not in the world. It's only found in me. What an incredible promise. But what else? I love this next phrase. Verse 17, he says, and I will also give him a white stone. And on the stone, a new name is inscribed that no one knows except the one who receives it. You go, what's that all about? Well, Jesus gives us, he says, in heaven, this white stone. Now, it's a a rock. That means it's rock solid. That means it's never going to go away. 
It's white, that means it's completely pure and holy, and that's exactly how God sees you right now. As a child of God, he's cast all your sins as far as the east is from the west. He sees you clean and pure. But then the Bible says that he puts a a name on it, a name, a special name that no one knows except you and Jesus. And one day, Jesus says, you're going to get this beautiful white stone that you're going to hold for all eternity. And as soon as you see your name, you're going to go, yes, that's me. Now, I love this image, and the reason why is because it shows the intimacy that Jesus wants to have with you. I mean, think of it like this. I mean, for a lot of dads, they'll give their daughters a little pet name, a little sweet, precious name, maybe a name that they, he only uses for her, right? You've probably heard these before, you know, like baby girl or kiddo or peanut or princess or sis or sunshine. And it's an intimate little phrase. He would not call anybody else that, but he calls that to his daughter. It speaks of the intimacy of relationship. You can sometimes see this in, in marriage relationships. Spouses will give each other these little pet intimate names. Here's just a few that I looked up. Angel, babe, baby love, cookie, cutie pie, cuddlebug, cupcake, honey bunny, love, muffin, peaches, pooh bear, precious, pumpkin, snookums, sweetie pie, sweetheart, sweet pea. <laughs> I have a special intimate name that I have with Susan. I'm not going to tell you it, but I, we have this special little name. And I wouldn't say that to anybody else, but I say it to my wife. It's a sign of the intimacy that we have. Well, that's what Jesus says. Now, here's the deal. I believe that this is how Jesus sees you right now with that name. The Bible says that you and I, we are already seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That means that positionally, we are already in Christ. Christ already sees us in heaven. And he calls us by this special intimate name. He calls you that. Now, we don't know what it is yet, but he calls us that name. And the fact is, is that one day you're going to have that name revealed. And when you see, you're going to go, yes, that's who I knew I was to Jesus, right? I mean, think of it this way. In the Bible, many times God will change people's names. He changed Abram to Abraham, means father of many nations. Or Sari to Sarah. Or you have Simon. Jesus calls him Peter, which means rock. And what Jesus will do is Jesus says, hey, this is how I see you. This is who you really are. This is your new identity. Quit looking to the world for your identity. Quit looking to the world for your acceptance and love. Look to me. See yourself with my identity, not the world's identity anymore. Let me close with this. A number of years back, the um, manager for the Los Angeles Dodgers was Tommy Lasorda, great manager, baseball coach. And he had a new rookie um, pitcher, and his name was um, Oral Hershiser. And Oral was this guy who was basically this baby-faced, shy pitcher, but he was really good. But he had this strange name, Oral Hershiser, not all that intimidating. And so what um, Tommy Lasorda did is he pulls him aside one day, and he says, listen to me, Oral. I'm not going to call you Oral Hershiser anymore. I'm going to call you Bulldog. Because I want you to start thinking yourselves like that. You are a bulldog. And so sure enough, so Oral Hershiser, he becomes one of the greatest um, Major League Baseball pitchers because he started pitching like a bulldog. Well, this all came to a head one um, series. It was actually during the playoffs whenever um, Oral Hershiser, the Dodgers, were playing against the Mets. And the Mets had on the mound that day this really good pitcher named Ron Darling. 
And basically, you had, um, you know, Tommy Lasorda said it was really funny. In the, you know, in the dugouts, whenever Hershiser was pitching, he'd yell from the dugout. He'd said, strike him out, bulldog. Strike him out, bulldog. You can do a bulldog. That's awesome, bulldog. And then whenever the Mets were out in the field and pitching against the Dodgers, you know, their manager would go, strike him out, darling. Come on, darling, you can do it. <laughs> And he said it was just simply by the names. You knew who was going to win that match that day, that game. And sure enough, it was. See, Oral Hershiser became the name, his new identity. And that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying this world is going to squeeze you into its mold if you'll let them. If you compromise. And guess what? You're going to soil the name of Jesus Christ in the process. And you're going to weaken your faith. But Jesus says you need to quit acting like the frog in the kettle and compromise. And you need to start being the prince and princes of heaven that you're called to be. That's your new identity. Start living like it. Amen? Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale. And we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.